Okay, Dr. Levine, thank you so much for joining the Boost Bariatrics podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Pleasure yeah. to be here. I, so for those of you who don't know, of course, this, probably no one knows, but the reason I got in touch with Dr. Levine, I've been getting your emails for months and months and months, maybe years. And, you know, like any good email newsletter, sometimes the subject line applies to what we do. Sometimes it doesn't. And the other day I saw a really good one and thought, I wonder if this guy would jump on a, a podcast. So I reached out, you said yes, and I'm excited to talk more about uh, your field of expertise today. Sure. Let's do it. Can you take, uh, just give us the two minute version of your history and how you got into what you do now? Sure. Well, I was a full-time practicing periodontist gum surgeon. Uh, I discovered early on in my career that I did not love it, but this was, I started my practice in the early nineties and it was when technology was taking off in dentistry, digital x-rays, cameras, windows software, I had a knack for making all those systems work together. So long story short, um, I ended up giving up my practice. I moved out to Southern California and we focused with healthcare providers. Oh, for many, many years, it was just um, IT systems, uh, computers and networks and monitors and mounts and printers. And we still do that to, to this day. What changed the equation for us over the last few years, number one was HIPAA. Uh, when they passed the omnibus rules in 2013, which really finalized all the rules. And then really over the last three or four years, it's been cybersecurity and ransomware. I'm sure everyone's heard about ransomware. Or, you know, we'll be happy to answer what that is, but um, that's changed the equation a lot. So I'd say probably 85, 90% of my clients are dental practices. We do work with physicians. We do work with chiropractors, you know, other healthcare providers, uh, the nice thing with, if there is anything nice you can say about HIPAA and cybersecurity is that it is specialty agnostic. It doesn't make a difference what healthcare field you're in. If you're a covered entity, then it all applies to you. So um, that's what I do full time. I've been doing it for close to 20 years and I don't miss cutting gums at all. And this is a lot more fun. I still get to work with my colleagues every day. And sure. uh, it's, it's, it's especially this time in, in you know, the, the history of IT with everything that's going on with HIPAA and cybersecurity, we're busy. So I have no complaints. Yeah. And that's part of what led to this discussion. Uh, you know, we work with lots of private practice. We work with just a couple of hospitals. I know, you know, for the first time in 2021, one of our clients was affected by ransomware, not, uh, not directly in their clinic, but you probably, you probably know more about this than I do. We have a clinic out in San Diego or La Jolla and they had a whole week or two of basically not being able to function because Scripps Health was hit with ransomware. Yeah. And this, you know, the fact that you know such a small percentage of people that have been hit um, is encouraging, but the statistics that are out there are a little more daunting. You know, there's some research out there as far as what's been happening over the last year. Or so the numbers are, are really scary. 34% of all healthcare providers have been hit with ransomware in one form or another. Um, and I actually have the statistics here in front of me. Let me see if I can pull them up for myself. Um, two thirds of those had their, their data encrypted. Uh, less than half, 44%, used a backup to restore their data. We can talk about that because that's a, a small number that should be close to 100%. Mm -hmm. A third of the people, of those, of those people that were hit, did uh, pay the ransom. But the thing that's scariest to me is that for even for people 
that paid the ransom <clears throat> that got the key to unlock it, on average, only about 69% of that encrypted data was able to be restored. So, you know, if you have, you know, if you have a practice management software or an image software, and the main files in there are the one part of that one third that's not able to be unencrypted, uh, you're dead in the water. I mean, you, you've literally lost that data. They're, these keys are not 100%. They're going to restore everything. So um, really, you want to make sure you never get this in the first place. Okay. So before we jump into those details, back up, tell me, what, what explain for those of us who uh, may not know the definition clearly, what is ransomware and why is it such a big deal? So ransomware is a type of virus. We, we call these malware. Malware would be viruses and worms and spyware, things like that. The, the purpose of ransomware is to limit or prevent you from accessing your data, uh, typically by locking the screen or locking the, the, the files until you pay, until a ransom is paid. Uh, sometimes we use the, the word crypto ransomware, uh, where it encrypts certain file types on affected systems. Uh, but typically they're going to lock the files and they won't release it until you pay. Uh, that's what we call it, a ransom. They do not take checks. They do not take credit cards. <laughs> it's typically uh, some type of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as well. The thing that makes it, it's, it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. First off, on average for our clients who have been hit with ransomware, um, they're down anywhere from about three to seven days that they literally can't access the data. <clears throat> Secondarily um, is the fact that there is uh, a huge potential problem with HIPAA. HIPAA says that if you're hit with a ransomware virus, you have suffered a breach. Mm -hmm. Now, most of us don't think of breaches in those terms. We think of a breach as you know, someone hacked into your network or you had a laptop or an external hard drive that was stolen. Uh, the way that Office of Civil Rights, Health and Human Services defines a breach is loss of control of your data, which is exactly what the ransomware does. It locks the files. So you have all of that. The third issue is that they, these criminals have gotten smarter and more aggressive. Uh, initially, it was pay the ransom or you don't get your files back. They know that, like I said, there was 44% of people had a backup. It should be higher than that, but they know on, on average, half the people have been restored from a backup. A lot of times this ransomware can actually capture the data and they can copy it. So the second thing was what we call double extortion, where they say to you, okay, you're not going to pay. I'm going to take your entire database and put it online. And if you still, if there's still not enough motivation to, to make the payment, then the third is if they have access to that database and they can get into those databases, they can start threatening to call up your patients because they have all that information. And that's obviously really nasty. So there's a few circumstances where HIPAA says, well, you know, if you can establish there was a low incidence uh, or low probability of it being compromised, uh, you don't have to declare the breach, but it's almost impossible for any practitioner to be able to say that. It, the questions are like, do you know the person that hacked in? The answer is no. Uh, do you know for sure that they did not copy your data? No. So mm -hmm. in almost every case, if you're hit with a ransomware virus, you suffer a breach. <clears throat> now with HIPAA, unlike a lot of HIPAA, which is somewhat ambiguous, you know, we have regular rules, we have addressable rules. The breach notification rule is very clear cut. And what it says is that if you suffered a breach, there's three things you have to do. 
Number one, you have to notify the local news media. Number two, you have to be listed on the Health and Human Services website. We call it the wall of shame, not a place you want to be. Uh, but the worst part is that by law, you have to send a letter, not an email, but a letter to every single patient of record, letting them know that you've been breached, what data may have been compromised. And usually we're talking about all their demographic data, credit card information, social security numbers. Um, it's considered standard of care. It provides some type of credit monitoring for those people for at least a year or two. Uh, it's nasty. We, we've had clients that have had to declare that breach. On average, they lose about 15 to 20% of their patient population within a couple of weeks. So as you can imagine, most patients are not happy to get a letter saying, hey, sorry, oops, someone else has your data now. Sure. So, you know, and that's the whole premise of HIPAA is that you know, if, we're, if patients are giving us their information, they have a reasonable expectation that we're going to do everything within our power to protect and secure that data. So, and that's the whole premise of HIPAA. Obviously, there's a lot more details than that, but that's basically what drives it. Mm -hmm. And what does this look like from a, on a practical level? You show up to, you know, ABC clinic on a Tuesday morning and you get on your computer and what? Typically, there'll be a ransom note or the files will be, you know, when you click on a file and try to open up your program, you'll get the note at that point. Um, it'll be a note that basically says, we've encrypted your files. You know, we've seen all kinds of different notes out there. Some of them are somewhat nicer. Some of them are pretty scary notes. Uh, typically, they're going to have you do two things. Number one is that you have to download and run a special browser called the Tor browser, T-O-R. It's a very secure browser. It can't be, you know, in case the feds are watching whatever, it can't be tracked at all. And then once you've done that, they tell you to go to a specific website and it sets up a, basically a chat with these criminals and they tell you what they want for the ransom and you can try to negotiate. Uh, <clears throat> usually you're not successful. And so it's just, uh, then they, they'll give you a Bitcoin address. You would send the money to that Bitcoin address and then they'll hopefully give you the encryption. It's very rare for them to take the ransom and not give you the key because if word starts getting out that, Hey, you know, these guys aren't giving you the keys then no one's going to pay. Hmm. So, you know, that they have a vested interest in giving you the, the key, but, um, as I said, that's, that's why it takes days to, to recover from this, because we have to make sure the one thing that's most critical in all of this is that you need to make sure the ransomware is gone before you even start to restore the data. Otherwise, it's just going to come back again mm -hmm. and figuring out where it came in and you know how it came in. Typically, it's through email. Sometimes it's through unpatched operating systems. But one way or the other, you have to eliminate it and make sure you're not at risk in the future before you should even think about uh, paying for that ransom. Sure. Can you give an idea? Is there, I, I, you know, a lot of private practice physicians, I think they look at this and say, well, yeah, you know, everybody's coming to me saying you're in danger because you need more insurance. You're in danger because you need this, you need that. And now here's, you know, people are showing up saying you guys, you're not protected from an IT perspective. You're not protected from ransomware. Um, I guess, you know, a lot of these guys would look at they, they would assume these people are going to go after big medical systems, hospital systems, HCA, or, you know, someone who's national or global. Uh, are, are people, you know, smaller shops with, with, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they're not, uh, they don't have teams of attorneys and uh, insurance to cover all this. Are smaller medical clinics being hit just as often? More often. Um, these criminals know that in a lot of cases, these larger health organizations, 
they have the manpower to have proper IT systems in place, proper firewalls and application whitelisting and ransomware software. Um, they know that solo practitioners, small group practices are a much bigger target because they don't have those types of systems. You know, typically it's the physician, uh, an office manager, you've got assistants, you know, they're, they're not highly tech savvy people. So <clears throat> what we've actually seen a lot of over the last couple of years is these criminals going after IT providers. I'll give you an example. Um, in my business, we have around 1,500 computers that we're maintaining at any given time. Now, a ransomware criminal can certainly try to go to those 1,500 computers and try to get into them individually. Good luck, that's gonna be a challenge. If, if they're smart, what they're gonna do is try to get into the portal that I use in order to manage and maintain all those systems. I have remote access to every one of those 1,500 computers. If they found a way to get into that portal, which is basically just, they just need a username and a password. If Now, I also have two-factor authentication, so it's not so easy for them to do. But if they could, they now have access to 1,500 computers and they could push out ransomware as much as they want. There was a case in uh, Wisconsin in 2019, 400 dental practices that were all hit the same day. Uh, 100 in Colorado a few months uh, after that one. So um, these, these people have found a way to exponentially uh, improve their odds of getting the ransomware out of there. But you know, on the black market, not that I'm a black market expert by any stretch of the imagination, a, a medical record is the most valuable thing. It contains patient's name and address and phone number and social and credit card information and medical history and um, it's a gold mine. So uh, there's no doubt that uh, you know, smaller practices are their, their main target. They have, the, they have the best chance of being able to get in there. They also know that a good chunk of those people will have some type of insurance policy. That's the worst thing you could, by the way, if you say, if you're trying to negotiate, if they see or they know that you have insurance, forget about negotiating with them because they know that you're going to be reimbursed by an insurance company. Hmm. Uh, can you give an, I mean, is there a ballpark range? How much, how much are you typically going to pay to get your data back? Um, there is a ballpark range. I'm trying to think if I have a slide here, because I, I made some notes here. So on average for most practices, they're looking the, the downtime plus the, the fines and penalties usually is somewhere around $65,000, give or take. That is for, um, you know, for, uh, getting the ransomware, I'll pay the ransom. We've seen everything from, as low as $1,000 to twenty-five dollars to $30,000 for the ransom. And then you've got to measure, well, you know, three, four, five days of downtime, what does that cost to practice? Um, do you have to provide some type of credit monitoring for those people? Uh, when we do, uh, like for, one of the things that you really should do from a, HIP, a HIPAA requires is, is a formal risk assessment where you actually check to make sure that you're following HIPAA guidelines and develop some type of uh, HIPAA management plan when we do that for our clients, we automatically include at least $250,000 of cyber liability insurance. You can't prevent all breaches. Uh, most of the ransomware that's coming out nowadays is what we call zero day, which basically means it's so new, your firewall, your software doesn't know that it's a virus. <clears throat> so um, you want to have insurance to cover you for those fines and penalties and the cost of 
you know, providing that credit monitoring and all the other stuff associated with it. And we, you know, obviously for a larger practice, they're going to want 500,000, a million coverage or, or more, but we start for even the smallest of practices at 250,000. And I think that's critical for, for any, any practice. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, I, I'm, you know, this is not our specialty. I'm assuming a lot of the practices already have this as part of some insurance policy, but even if you do, like you said, the downtime, the mm-hmm. headache, the dealing with the frustration, then maybe even triggering the HIPAA audit or whatever happens after that is the probably the most painful part. So what what are the few things if if you you know if you only had a few minutes and could tell someone hey if if nothing else I mean I guess you would say best case you know hire your firm and you will help set set up of course <laughs> set it up the right way. Uh, so that is one option absolutely. If someone said hey what are some quick things we could do just to check to see if we are you know are we protecting the practice correctly what are those things. Okay, so I mean, yeah, I could spend two hours talking about that. So we wanted to do a quick list. First off, uh, make sure you've got a good firewall in place. Most of the internet modems and routers have a built-in firewall. They're not particularly good. You want a business class firewall like Sophos or SonicWall, you know, the, the better. You're, you're going to pay somewhere in the five to $800 range for something like that, but it, it's worth it. You're almost for sure going to want to have an IT professional set it up for you uh, because there's all kinds of things that we want to do. It's not just a plug and play. It's more like plug and pray. So you, you want to have someone to help you with that. Um, that's going to keep a lot of the bad stuff out. <clears throat> the second thing, and we started uh, doing this for some of our clients about, I don't know, seven, eight months ago, and we've got a, a ton of them on it now, is this, this concept called application whitelisting. As I mentioned, some of the viruses are so new that your software, your firewall won't know that it's a virus. The way that application whitelisting works is that we take an inventory of every single program running on your computers. We compare that to the global database of all of our clients. They're all part of this you know, one big group that we, we monitor all of it. And at a certain point, we flip a switch and it goes into what's called deny all mode, which basically means that if any new program tries to run that's not on that list, it can't run. All viruses are just tiny little programs, just a series of instructions to tell them what to do. So if that virus tries to run, the application whitelist will say, well, hold on a second here, you're not on the list. So it'll stop us in its track. The final thing I would say, if you were only gonna talk about three, is you've gotta have a really good backup and disaster recovery system in place. You need to have something local that will allow you to get up and running quickly. You need something offsite. I, I love cloud backup, I think it's a lot easier than having you or your staff take external hard drives out of the practice. But one way or the other, it's gotta be offsite. That's a HIPAA law that is retrievable. So get it offsite. Because you know, honestly, you know, if you do get hit with ransomware and if they're not gonna try the double or triple extortion, that really is your get out of jail free card, is that backup. Mm-hmm. So, and it should be tested and verified. And again, you, it's not something that most practitioners have the ability to do. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but this is what a good, healthcare IT provider does is to make sure that you have systems in place, you're testing and verifying them. You know, for our clients, we test their backup every week. Every week, we basically create a virtual copy of their server and make sure that we can boot into it so that we know that we can do it. And plus, it's a HIPAA law that says you have to test and verify it. And now we have evidence. We can take a screenshot of that and say, hey, here, here's our last one from last week. And so, you know, if you're only going to do those three things, that would be a great start. Obviously, there's other things like 
making sure your systems are all patched and encrypting your emails, encrypting your, your devices, uh, making sure your staff get proper training. Uh, I'm trying to, what am I forgetting here? You know, doing that risk assessment that we talked about and having the management plan, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a stacked approach. You know, the days of buying some third-party antivirus software and slapping it on there and being done with it, those are long gone. You need multiple levels of protection. It's kind of, it's one of those scenarios where you want to wear a belt and suspenders at the same time because, uh, you know, it, nothing's foolproof. So you want to have a backup. Yeah, man, that is really good information. Uh, I, when I send this out, I will send your info, but if somebody listening wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, there's so many ways to do it. Uh, the easiest way, and I, again, I know that there's no dentist on here, but we work with a lot of healthcare providers. My main website has most of the information that they would need. Um, if you go to uh, thedigitaldentist.com, T-H-E, digitaldentist.com, there's a contact us form there. Um, it's basically you just have to put your name and information and my office manager will follow up with you. Another thing that we did for the last couple of years, which might be really good for some people, if you're not sure where you stand when it comes to cybersecurity, HIPAA compliance, I created a little a quiz that you can basically like a little uh, test that you can take online and go through that and see where you stand. And it'll, you know, it follows, it'll send you some, I'll send you emails as follow up. There's a webinar that you can take as well if you want to get more information. The, the website for that is go, G-O dot thedigitaldentist.com. So either way, you know, if you just want to pick my brain, um, yeah, to me, of course, we would love to work with, with any of your listeners, but the key thing is that you have the information so that you can make intelligent decisions. Uh, all we do, I mean, we, we cover all this, and these are all services that we provide, but you know, I, my, my focus is I want to make sure you understand where you're at risk, you know, what those risks are, what will happen, potentially happen if you don't take care of it. At the end of the day, it's your practice, it's your money, you decide what, what's, what's best. You know, the, the bottom line is, What's going to give you the peace of mind to sleep well at night? That's individual for every person. Yep. Well said. Well, we, we try to follow the same mantra and you're out there, you're teaching what you know. I've been on, this is a great example of follow-up. I've been on your email list for a long time and finally reached out to get you on the podcast, but man, I appreciate you being so generous with your expertise. And um, yeah, if you don't have anything else, I'll hit the stop button and we'll close out. Great. Thanks.